Well, we are back again. We've had another interesting week in the world of football. We've seen some excellent matches, some great goals scored, and some absolutely boring nil-nil affairs. No prizes for guessing which games those might have been. But as always, we are here to talk about the world of football. My name's Ross Evans. I'm with my co-host, Dan Newton. Hello. And I think we've got to get straight into the first game, which, despite being a nil-niller, wasn't a boring game, but certainly didn't quite live up to its expectations. So that's the Liverpool-Manchester United game that happened uh, yesterday evening. Did you watch the game, Dan? I did, yeah. I was really looking forward to it. You know, I think we talked about it a lot last week, and it was kind of a, not a title decider, but certainly the kind of first blow for either side. And uh, yeah. pretty boring in the end, I thought. You know, it was kind of lacking in quality, in my opinion. Certainly in the final third, I have to agree. No, neither team managed to really trouble the opposition's goalkeeper apart from Man United arguably had the more clear-cut chances and forced some good saves from Allison. But yeah, that was is, what, yeah. a 10-minute minute spell and otherwise didn't really trouble the keeper too much and Liverpool didn't really give De Gea anything to do at all. Yeah, Firmino had a couple sort of half chances which right, maybe you should have done a bit better with but um, you know, yeah. didn't really trouble De Gea like you said. Man United spent most of the game offside, which was a yeah a little a little disappointing. For I think them. it was seven offsides in the first half. It was something like that. Yeah, it was it was ridiculous, really. Yeah, and yeah. You just kind of I don't think either team really deserved to win it. I think both teams were kind of you know we'll take a point from this. I think was kind of the attitude they both had. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't change the complexion of the title race so far, does it? It's, you know, Man United are still three points clear of Liverpool, but they're now two points clear of Leicester in second. Um, Bruno Fernandes was a real disappointment, disappointment for United, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he's kind of, he's developed a bit of a reputation for maybe not performing in the bigger games like he does against everyone else. You know, he's a fantastic player. Definitely Man United's best player, I think, and usually he's the one that kind of makes a difference for them. But against the yeah. bigger sides, I think he has struggled. And maybe, you know, it's the weight of expectations. You know, you expect him to score a goal or make an assist every match. And, you know, he's had to play a lot of football as well this season. So maybe that's a factor. Yeah. But yeah, he yeah, didn't yeah. really take hold of the game like you might have expected him to. No, but I think United as a team have a record of not performing so well against the traditional top six sides um they you know they're not the free scoring team that you'd expect i mean they haven't been the free scoring united team we expect for a couple of years but certainly against the top six they just seem to struggle to break break them down yeah i think i was i was looking at it today i think there's been a lot of kind of nil nils or like one nils and that kind of thing yeah you know between united and, and the top teams lately yeah it's um do you think that'll be a worry for Solskjaer and, and United fans as a wide thing that they can't beat, seem, well, not necessarily can't beat, but seem to struggle against the top six? Or do you think that that's just, you know, as long as we're beating everyone else and we're not losing consistently to the top six and we can kind of get away with it? Yeah, I think as long as their form continues against, you know, the, the teams in sort of the bottom half of the table, they'll be quite happy with it. You know, if you can draw against the top six and beat everyone else, then you could very well win the title. But... I think the difference yeah. will be if, you know, Man City or someone gets on a real run and they start beating everyone below them. 
and they start beating everyone around them as well, which this Man City team on their day probably are the better team in the Premier League, I would say. Well, they certainly look like uh, the way they're playing at the moment. You would think, actually, they're going to go on a bit of a roll here. And, you know, they won 4-0 last night. Uh, yeah. John, John Stone's hitting two goals. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a, must be a worry for, you know, United, Leicester, Liverpool, just looking over their shoulder and seeing, seeing that the City machine is starting to roll on a bit. Yeah, um, and I think City have got a game in hand, so if they win that, they will go top. So it's kind of a, I think, a bit of a worry for the other teams looking at Man City, like you said, because, I mean, we talked a lot about it last week. Like, I think Man City will go on to win the league. I think yeah. they, they've got too, too much quality, and even without Aguero, I think they're fantastic. And I think United aren't as good, quite, <laughs> to be quite simple. And I think Liverpool are really unlucky with, um, you know, injuries and things like that. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool currently on the worst form of the top four, um, with only one win in five, three draws and a loss, which puts them, they're actually now in fourth because Manchester City jumps into second on goal difference after their win last night, and as you quite rightly say, they have a game in hand, so they could, with their win in their game in hand, go up to 38 points, putting them a point clear of United, so... Yeah, this United side probably does need to start picking up points because, as you say, City are starting to look back to their ruthless best. Yeah, and I think if City can go on a run, which it looks like they probably are, you know, looking at the fixtures they've had recently and still have to come, I think, you know, City could really put some consistent results together. And like everyone said this year, that would be who wins the title, is whoever can be the most consistent. And up to yeah. this point, it's probably been United over the last couple of months, but... I think over yeah. the course of a season, I, I suspect C will probably be the most consistent. Because I feel I like mean, this, this United team right now, I feel like, are playing as well as they're going to play. But I think other teams can definitely get better, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I mean, City have won all of their last five. Um, United, two draws and three wins. And I think that, as we saw against Liverpool, and this probably goes for both both teams, especially Liverpool, who are struggling to score at the moment, both United and Liverpool would struggle to snatch a win when a team is grinding out a draw. Like, you know, as much as I want to say Liverpool's attackers are the best, the best front three in the division, they haven't scored particularly well. So I don't think we haven't scored a goal in the last three games yeah. in the league. Um, and okay, United had a defensive shape. They dropped very deep. Um, they had sort of almost two banks of four, which is always hard to break down. They didn't allow space in behind, which is what Liverpool players thrive off. But when we did create a chance, they fell to Firmino mostly, and he couldn't finish. Um, there was some poor decision making from the front three. And yeah, if they, it just seems that the two teams, Liverpool, maybe because of injuries. Um, just can't string together any consistent run of form. Yeah, I think it's you know a combination of Liverpool with they've had the injuries at the back, which has then damaged their midfield, which then is perhaps affecting the the front three. And I think it's that in combination with maybe the front three just hitting a dip in form, you know, as players yeah. do naturally. I think it's yeah. kind of been a wow, well, I'd say a perfect storm, but um, it's not perfect for Liverpool. 
of kind no. of all things contributing to them kind of struggling lately. Uh, that said, yeah. you know, I think Liverpool are champions. They are a fantastic team on their day. And I think, you know, strangely, the defence aren't actually conceding that many goals. It is, you know, scoring them that's been the issue. And I think if the front three can get their form back, they could certainly challenge for the title. You know, they're, they're not out of it by any stretch. No, I mean, well, they three, they're only three points off top. So to say that, again, it's a case of to say that anyone outside of probably the top four, now there's a little, small bit of space opening up between first and sixth. But still only five points. So you could say that anyone of United, uh, Man City, Leicester, Liverpool, Tottenham, or Everton, I'm going to throw in there as a bit of a wild card, are probably still in the title hunt. Yeah. Um, only separated by five points. Uh, you would expect Everton to drop off a bit, and if Tottenham can sort their form out, they, you know, you'd expect them to kick on. Um, so still, any, anyone's title really is a proper race, and we haven't seen one of those for quite some time. Yeah, I, I think that's because of you know Man City and Liverpool have dropped off. Really, I don't think yeah. the other teams have really closed the gap. It's kind of the gap's been closed by the, the teams ahead of them, you know, of them yeah. underperforming. So I think it, I mean, for us, it makes it probably more interesting. You know, I, I can't complain. Yeah. As someone who doesn't support any of these teams, it's it's much better to watch. Um, yeah, no, I, th- I think it is, it's still anyone's game. And I'm, I'm looking forward to yeah. seeing how it pans out. As you say, with City and Liverpool having a bit of a drop-off that's benefited to United, will football fans of other teams, particularly Liverpool fans and City fans, I guess, be allowed to give the same level of jibes that United said, oh, we just had a bad season, Liverpool were lucky. Because <laughs> it would be, it, you can see that some of the teams aren't playing to the level that they should be playing. Yeah, definitely. I think that, you know, that kind of banter will always be around. You know, you can yeah. be the best team ever and people will still say that you are lucky or, you know, the referees are in your favour. You know, that, that gets thrown around all the time. You know, I think that's part and parcel of football. Um, but but definitely, I think you can just look at the stats and see teams haven't performed as well as they have this season. And that's why United, who actually, I, I don't think their points total is that much better than they were last season. But yet, they're top of the table. Yeah. Speaking of referees, what was your take on the referee in the United-Liverpool game blowing his whistle early at the end of the first half, where... It appeared that he'd that uh, Mane had actually been put through on goal. Yeah, I mean it's obviously a mistake. Um, you shouldn't blow the whistle before the the minimum of added time because it is a minimum. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he shouldn't have done it. I don't know why he did. Maybe his watch was wrong. Um, but you wouldn't expect that from a Premier League ref. You know, did it change the game? It's hard to say because Mane had so much to do, even if he did go through. But um, yeah, it was a bad decision. Yeah, I mean, I do have to say it did look like Lindelof had had almost stopped running as the ball came over him because the whistle had gone. So I don't know if it's entirely fair to say Mane was through and it was a definite, clear goal-scoring opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Because had Lindelof not started to decelerate, I get the feeling he might have been in the position to make an interception. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it's it's so hard to tell whether that actually would have resulted in a goal or even a chance. You know, it's can't tell. You know. Yeah, it's very very tricky. Um, 
However, looking forward, after seeing this game, this nil-nil in the league play out, United and Liverpool play each other again at, uh, on Sunday, exactly a week on, except United are the home team this time, and Liverpool are the visitors in the FA Cup. So, do you, would you expect to see the same manner of game played out again, or are we expecting maybe something with a bit more fireworks in it? I think it'll be more of an open game, you know. Even though it's a cup competition, it's almost like there's less to play for, you know with them being so tight at the top of the league, I think they'll be less afraid of losing, which is strange saying, you know, with it being a knockout competition, but no, I think, I hope it'll be a more open game and I think there should be more goals and it should be more, more exciting to watch. Yeah. I mean, you'd hope so that, you know, Liverpool very, they don't play particularly different regardless of whether they're home or away. But I think that, even without the fans there, United will still have the psychological advantage of playing at home. Um, so do we expect to see a United team that will be a bit more forward-thinking, that will either expose Liverpool's defence or will we see more goals from Liverpool, perhaps, with a bit more space being made available? Yeah, personally, I, I actually think Liverpool might win that game. I'm not really sure why. I just kind of feel like they will. I think... United will probably open up a bit more in them being at home. And like I said, it's almost less to play for with it being a cup competition. I'm sure they'll be more focused on the league. So they might make some changes as well. And I'd be surprised if Liverpool did. Because um, I think Klopp needs that front three to start scoring. So he'll probably play them as much as they can. So I think Liverpool will definitely go for it. And I think United might open up a bit too much, which might give Liverpool the space to kind of exploit them more than they did at Anfield. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to look forward to that game. And as always, for a game of that magnitude, we'll be following along on Twitter. So if you are on Twitter, please do give us a follow. The Twitter handle will be in the description of this podcast. Um, But we have to move on and actually speak about the game. In fact, all games in football. And during the pandemic, if you're not in Britain, um, you may not be aware that we're currently in a third lockdown. a lot of things shut down, no fans in stadiums, um, restrictions on who you can meet and what you can do. I'm sure I don't have to explain much more than that to you anymore. Um, and that raises the question is that while we're seeing that the Nas- National League and below are really struggling to survive, a lot of clubs don't know if they're still going to be around in 12 months' time, um, should elite level football still be concerned to the same level like we see Premier League Championship League 1 League 2 in England still playing but they are surely still being affected by this and we're seeing a lot of games postponed and uh, increases in positive Covid tests at football clubs do you think that the current elite level season should be postponed as it was at the start of the first lockdown Um, for me personally I I don't think it should be. I think there's enough rules and kind of regulations to do with COVID in place that it shouldn't be a big of an issue. I think the issues that have arisen have been down to individuals not following the rules, which you can apply to any kind of thing in lockdown or any kind of career or whatever people are doing. If they don't follow the rules, there's going to be problems. I think what needs to change is maybe footballers' attitudes towards the rules and to make sure that they are actually sticking to them and ensuring that football can continue because from what I've seen from various clubs around the country, their actual regulations are fine. It's just, like I said, the individuals that are making mistakes that are causing these issues. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm lo- looking at the games so far throughout the week that are, you know, already been had postponements announced. Oh, there's only three games um, that are being postponed in the men in the men's um, game. I have to say, there's a lot of games in the ladies game that are po- postponed. Um, but should clubs be punished for individuals because it's footballers seem to almost be I don't know if they're more susceptible or if they're just flouting the rules it's one or the other there's you know there's an argument for both sides perhaps because of the effect that sport can have on the body and the certain there's evidence to suggest that regular exercise in the short term there's immunosuppression but in the long term, we know that it actually strengthens the immune system. So why do footballers, as a population, seem to be getting it more? They're, you know, that's a question that needs, I think, needs to be answered. Well, I and think then... part of that is actually because they get tested so often. You know, I know it's a bit of a, a meme with like Trump saying it in the past, but like the more you test, the more cases you will find, and a lot of them are going to be asymptomatic anyway. So. That's probably why yeah. more of them have it. It's just because we're testing more of them than we are, you know, people who work in an office. You know, they they don't get tested nearly as much as professional footballers. And I think part of it is, you know, footballers are in their own bubbles a lot, so that maybe they're kind of isolated from what it's like for everyone else. So maybe they don't see the actual impact that it's having in the rest of society. But, you know, I think maybe they're a little bit naive with you know some of the things they do. And I mean, some of it is just stupid, like Celtic going to Dubai for a like mid-season training camp is just absolute stupidity yeah yeah it's it's tough isn't it yeah no it's difficult for everyone and i think you know footballers you know are definitely struggling with following the rules yeah and is that more of a fault of football you know it's always said in terms of particularly in the early noughties and uh maybe early early tens as well it's um that football they're in, in football for such a, from such a young age that perhaps they don't quite learn the responsibilities that a non-footballer of their age would would have learned by being out you know in the working world or something just to uh, separate it from football um and do you think that that possible lack of understanding of those rules and regulations and stuff like that is what's causing it or is that something that footballers just not just in the case of the pandemic but as a wider thing need more education on or is that just simply because as you said they're isolated and actually that level of isolation to be able to continue is actually more difficult than the some the lockdown that some of us are experiencing no i, I think you're right i think it is because you know being a footballer is such a different you know life to everyone else you know it's very kind of isolating like you said you know you're separated from everyone else even at the best of times, you know, with how much scrutiny that goes on to people, you know, they're always got to be careful. And I think it is, like I said, you know, a bit of naivety and maybe not an appreciation for how damaging it has been for everyone else because they're so isolated from what it is for everyday life, Um, which, you know, is kind of their fault, but it's not really their fault. It's, you know, fault of their circumstances. I think if there is more kind of education or just like, look, you like, you need to sort this out and stop, being silly because a lot of it is just individuals being stupid yeah like so i mean we can look at like kyle walker and jack Grealish, phil foden mason greenwood to an extent um 
and the, you know the Chelsea players, um, Sancho, Abraham, Chilwell, all breaking lockdown restrictions. And I know, gen, as a general rule, it leads to public outcry. Is there an element of? Do you think it's completely fair, or do you think that actually, if they won role models? No one will bat an eye because these are things that are going on. Normal people are doing on the day to day. Do you think that this outcry is just caused because they're in the because they're in the limelight? Definitely, yeah. I think footballers are always going to be held to a higher standard than a lot of other people. I mean, you look, you know, it's a very specific example to the UK, but you look at you know the Dominic Cummings uh, situation earlier on in yeah. sort of last year where he broke regulations and now everyone's saying that. Oh well, if it's all right for him to do it, then why can't I do it? I think there's definitely yeah. a case of if people see public figures, whether they be politicians or footballers, breaking the rules, then it kind of becomes like, well, if they're breaking it, then why won't I? I think that definitely plays a big factor, and it's part of the reason that maybe some people need to take larger responsibility for what they're doing. Yeah, um, and I mean we've got to say as well for fans, I think it's in fans' best interest to keep football going, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think it is. You know, we talk a lot about you know the, the different effects lockdown will have on people, but I think in terms of like mental health, having like football as an out an outlet is fantastic for everyone. You know, it gives people something yeah. to do in a bit more kind of structure to the time if you know you've got a game on the Saturday. So I think it yeah. is beneficial to keep it open, and I think it's just kind of cutting out those individual errors is uh, probably what needs to change. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned on the mental health effect is again that's positive for fans at least you've got something to look forward to it's something that you can sit back and enjoy just switch off from the outside world for you know a couple hours or in the case of sunday you got you know yesterday you had three games back to back and that was what six seven eight hours where you can just switch off and then just chill out unless you support one of the teams that loses you can just chill out and enjoy yourself yeah, and I think even just knowing that, all right, on Saturday I get to watch the football, you know, it it stops all the days blowing together. You know, I think, I think that's yeah. a thing a lot of people are worried about is if you're there and, you know, you just are doing the same thing every day and you have no real change in routine, it can be a struggle for some people. Um, and I think football yeah. really helps to stop that. Yeah. So we are both, I think it's fair to say, firmly in the camp of football stays open it's open for business um but there just needs to be a bit more responsibility taken by players and we know it's difficult it you know it's in a, not patronizing anyone at all but it is a difficult time for everyone and then they are human at the end of the day and they are going to make mistakes and there's hundreds of thousands of people in this country are doing exactly the same thing and are just getting away with it because they're not on camera so I think it is in the best interest to keep the sport open, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. No, I, I I agree with all that. Um, we'll talk quickly as well. The transfer window's been a bit quiet. Do you think that the pandemic's had a impact on that, or do you think that transfers is kind of something that should have been business as usual? Um, I mean, you know, it's had a big economic effect on a lot of football clubs. A lot of them don't have as much financial kind of weight they can throw around to bring in other players. I think that's definitely playing a factor. Not only that, but the kind of uncertainty of when it'll come to an end and when things will go back to normal will definitely, you know, I think if 
you were to go out and spend 40 million on january and be like well fans aren't going to be back until next january that might you know be a worry for some clubs so they maybe can't afford it i think if they maybe knew a specific date where fans would be back and they could work out their kind of financial plans then we might have seen more money being spent no i definitely think it is down to you know the lack of finances that some clubs have yeah um speaking of transfers a sort of i guess in terms of a lot of fans one of the probably feel-good transfers was Ozil finally making, uh, leaving Arsenal. He is going to Fenerbahce in the Turkish league. Um, it's good to see him out of Arsenal, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's good to see him, you know, being able to actually go and play football and um, play in a country that he's obviously very fond of and hopefully yeah. get him enjoying his football as well and allow us to enjoy watching him again. Yeah, I mean... With all due respect, I don't know how many people regularly watch the Turkish league outside of Turkey. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a funny old time at Arsenal, isn't it? Just in terms of how they're playing on the pitch, the way that Ozil's being treated. Um, him moving to Fenerbahce, he, you know, he openly said that's the team he wants to move to before he transferred out. Um, so, I mean... I've got we've got on our notes here. Is is this a fair treatment? Was he tr- uh, fairly treated at Arsenal? I think the clear and obvious answer is no. Yeah, I mean we've talked a lot about him over the past couple of months, and I think Arsenal did mishandle it. I think he, one from a footballing point of view, probably should have been in that team when they were struggling to create chances. I think you know you talk about the off the pitch stuff, and I think they've not handled that well either. Bit of a PR disaster, really. Um, yeah, and yeah, I think he has been unfairly treated, and I think Arsenal have made a mistake. But equally, you know, Arsenal are in the middle of a rebuild, and I think Urza was always going to have to leave to facilitate that. You know, the amount of yeah. money he was on, they had to kind of get rid of him. Yeah, he was a player who he was declining at Arsenal anyway. I think. Um, he was brilliant when he first signed and he was playing under Wenger and teams were almost built around him. Um, and then when Emery came in, he it didn't suit him, that style of play. You know, he played, Emery played a rather aggressive, pressing style of football that Ozil just didn't fit. So, of course, his numbers started to go down. Um, would you have liked to have seen like seen him play in Arteta's system or do you think it's too similar to what Emery had going I think that depends on what version of Arteta's system he uses you know sometimes he looks like Wenger other times he looks like Sam Allardyce you know that's that's Arteta's style of football it's quite inconsistent and I think you know you you think of Ozil playing in kind of a, a Wenger team it'd be you know a fantastic player for them and certainly there has been some kind of revising of his last couple of years and like you said he he wasn't actually performing that well for them um but you know i think if played in the right system especially in this year where i think we talked about last week you know pressing has been down all over the league you know it's been slower for a lot of teams i think he really could have made a difference for arsenal um but at the end of the day you know they've made the decision to let him go and I, I understand it and I, I kind of respect it and I, I think it'll be good for Arsenal to kind of just move on, you know, draw a line under it and start getting a replacement in for him. Yeah. I think that 
I mean, obviously, he's a player who we you think in terms of quality is going to be one of the star names in the Turkish league. Do you think that'll be the pointer as to where he was form-wise once he's there? Because you know he could turn up and just be, you know, out of this world, which I think is what we're expecting. Yeah. But it, might it be a case of like Bale at Tottenham, where everyone's come back expecting this superstar, and actually he's not going to be great. Potentially, you know, Gareth Bale has been very disappointing whether it's down to fitness or injuries or, or whatever, you know, he hasn't performed. And I think it might take Ozil a bit of time, you know, to get actually match fix. He hasn't played football in a very long time. But, you know, I think, he, you know, he is a quality player. And I think playing in a league of, I mean, no offense to the Turkish league, but it's not the same standard as the Premier League. You know, he no. should be one of the top players there. Um, Yeah, so I, I think maybe it'll take him a little bit of time, but I'm, I'm sure we'll get back to it in. At the end of the day, I think he's just going there because it's something he wants to do. I don't think he's really trying to win trophies or win a Champions League or anything like that. You know, it's just he wants to go there to retire, I would presume. Yeah, I mean, he's. I believe he is of Turkish descent. Yeah, he is. So, yeah. obviously, has a strong affinity with Turkey. Um, there were some rumblings that it was his political views that started to cause dissent with the Arsenal hierarchy. And I don't I don't particularly think we'd want to get into the political side of it. But do you think that that's fair? If that is the case, do you think that is a, you know, that's fair that the Arsenal board kind of almost pushed him out because of his political affiliations and views? Um, I mean, like I said, I think that's maybe a little bit above our pay grade. But um, I mean, for me personally, I, I don't really think that's fair. I think, you know, you should be able to separate it you know, whether those views are good yeah. or bad, you know, it's it's different to how you do on the football pitch, you know. It's irrelevant, really. And I think he was badly treated, in my opinion. But, you know, that, that's football. That's, you know, clubs don't want to risk offending a bunch of people because they, they yeah. don't want to hurt their sales in different countries. Yeah. I mean, it always interests me to see that, you know, De Canio allegedly threw up a Nazi salute, yet still played for... And manage a lot of English clubs. Um, so it's an interesting take, isn't it? It seems to be that either times have changed, or that sort of is really down to what the hierarchy think and what their motives are. I, th- I think that's you know more to do with how times have changed. You know, with social media and you know people are a lot more vocal that they you know, disagree with with something, and therefore they aren't going to support that company or buy their products, kind of thing. And I think I think that's what it comes down to. It's fear of damaging themselves financially by getting involved in a political point which you know yeah they would presume that the majority or the majority in a certain area would disagree with them supporting yeah so i mean do we think that maybe the political side of it's just something that we should try to separate from football or is that just something that they're kind of too now being used as a football is being used as a political tool we see we're seeing it more often yeah, I mean, for me, I, I, I actually don't have a problem with them being related. I think it's just, you know, it comes down to the individuals to decide what they're going to support. And it's one of those things where if they support something you disagree with, you're going to say, oh, you know, get politics out of football. But if they support stuff you agree with, it's it's fine. You know, um, I think it is what it is. And I, I, like I said, I don't have any issues with it. I think, you know, football is a huge part of society. And I think they should take maybe more involvement in certain issues and support certain things, you know. You know, think of Marcus Rashford at Man United, you know. 
he's doing something that everyone agrees with and no one has an issue with him getting involved in politics but when it becomes something that you know some people disagree with then it becomes an issue for them yeah so we're coming towards the end of the podcast now dan and we've picked out two games for the week one in the premier league midweek and of course i don't think it's any surprise to anyone we've yet again picked out united versus liverpool in the fa cup as a marquee fixture for the week um leicester chelsea is what we'll start off with in the premier league um leicester sat in third chelsea are in seventh which way do you see that game going well you'd think normally you'd probably back Chelsea, you know, the amount of money they've spent, the amount of quality players they have, but with how the season's going and how well Leicester have played, I think it's, you know, Leicester's to lose, really. I think they'll be the, the favourites, which you probably wouldn't have said a lot over the years, but for me, I'm definitely going to back Leicester on that one. Yeah, I, um, I have to agree with you. I can see this one being a comfortable 2-0. Um, I don't rate Chelsea going forward at all. Werner is he looked shocking in his last game. He's got no confidence. He's got no confidence yeah. whatsoever now. And Havertz level seems to be Morecambe. <laughs> yeah. You know, Ziyech as well. I mean Ziyech has gone under the ra- radar, but he's not exactly playing well either. I know he had a horrific injury at the beginning of the season, but He's not performing either. It's un- almost unfair and a bit disingenuous to sit there and uh, criticise just Werner and Havertz because Ziyech needs to take some shoulder of blame as well, doesn't he? Yeah, and no, I think the whole squad does. I think they're all underperforming, really. Not just the new players, but I think the players that were there before, just, I don't know why, but they're not playing to their standards. You know, whether it's the tactics or whatever, I think, you know, the whole squad has to, you know, share the brunt of responsibility. Yeah, and ironically, the player who was probably taking the piss out of the most, or certainly up there, was Mason Mount, and he's probably the, he's you know dragging Chelsea through at times. Yeah, he's probably been their player of the season so far. Yeah, so I mean, like I say, Leicester, I'm calling for two nil, and they look really good, don't they? They do, yeah. They look like the like a complete team, really. You know, whatever way yeah. they play, whether they control the possession or if they play on the counter, you know, they they look really good. Yeah. Um, Vardy, always, we know, is lethal. Harvey Barnes looks really good. Madison, Madison, he's put the form back. Yeah. So, I think Chelsea could be in trouble here. And I think, you know, we, I, we did put him down on our... Um, manager sacking race but Lampard surely got to be feeling the pressure now yeah I think he will be um I don't think he'll be sacked after the Leicester game if they lose it but I think the longer they go without you know really catching up to the top four is he's going to be in danger yeah I mean they are only um five points off fourth at the moment um but that's You'd expect with the money spent and the calibre of player brought in, they should have been up there in the top three easily, if not at least in the top four, top three, you'd expect. Yeah, I mean, when when you perform worse after you've come out of a transfer ban, that's always going to be a huge concern about what's going on with that club and the recruitment. Because if I think this, this was the season where he hadn't been able to go and sign any players, 
you'd still give him the benefit of the doubt because you know you know it's difficult circumstances but to have done relatively well last year and massively underperformed this year i think is a really bad sign for lampard yeah and particularly when united and city had such terrible starts to the season and now sitting in first and second and Chelsea, you would have thought, would have been able to take advantage of that and get themselves into a relatively good position. Yeah, the way the season's gone, you would have expected them to be in a title race, and they've just not yeah. performed to it. So for me, I think, um, I mean, I could say two one, but I feel like I say two one for every game. So um, I might go with a a three one to Leicester. A three one. Yeah, I mean, as we say. I think you're generous expecting that Chelsea might get a goal against such a well-drilled team in defence. I couldn't see couldn't see them doing it personally. I can see Mason Mount just popping up with one edge of the box consolation at the end of the game. But um, yeah, I yeah. think it'll be comfortable for Leicester. I, I don't know. Like predicting the scores, I just want to be different. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Well, giving you another opportunity here, we'll move on to the FA Cup game Sunday. Uh, Man United at home to Liverpool. Uh, again, we saw them play a nil-nil out yesterday for us. Um, this is it's an interesting game. Obviously, the biggest, arguably the biggest game in the English football calendar. We're being treated it to it two weeks in a row, except if it's another boring nil-niller, it's not going to be a treat, is it? No, I mean, I mean, we talked about it a little bit earlier, and personally, I think it's going to be a more open game. Um, I think I said I think I maybe favour Liverpool if it is more open. I think their front three might get a couple more chances, and you know, who knows? It'll be a chance for them to get some form back if they can get some goals against United. Yeah, I, I want to agree, I really do. But Liverpool, they play Burnley midweek. And I think that'll be the teller, because if this front three can't get firing, I really think there's an issue. Like, I, I, defensively, we saw it a couple of times where United's game plan was let's exploit the space that will be left by Alexander-Arnold and Robertson being up the field. Now, Fabinho and Henderson did brilliantly at centre-half. They played offside traps really well. And they were able to read the play and break up play. And it was helped by the fact that Manchester United, for large parts of the game, couldn't string three passes together. And when they did, any Stevie Wonder could have read them. Yeah, but... they, they were definitely, I think, didn't perform as well as they could have United. I think they actually didn't pick their best team either. I think I think Rashford should have played out on the left and gone up against Trent because he always causes them issues. But maybe that'll yeah. happen in the cup. You know, it's hard to say. I was I was certainly surprised to see Pogba playing out on the right because he was relatively quiet the whole game and you know obviously put there you you think that he's not the most defensively aware player and there's definitely times that you know a big chance could have been given to Robertson had Firmino looked up where simply Pogba should have tracked Robertson and he didn't. And that you know that was an odd choice for me, and I'd be surprised if Solskjaer did the same thing. Yeah, I'd expect him to pick a different team, even even just you know rotating it because it's the cup. You know, you might see Eric Bay play or Twan Zabi might come in, which I think if they did would actually you know be a benefit to United because having that pace at the back will make it even harder for Liverpool's front three to score. Yeah, and Bailey's been in great form 
Um, it was, a, you know, looking on Twitter, it was a massive surprise that he, to see he didn't play in the league. So, yeah, I, th- I think United fans would definitely prefer him to play. I think it's just Solskjaer's loves Lindelof, I think, from listening to United fans. I think that that's the issue. Yeah, and I mean, Lindelof didn't play badly. Let's, you know, let's, you know, we have to be fair. Um, but, yeah, I'm not... It's just not... with, with Lindelof and Maguire, it kind of forces them to play that very deep defensive style. Whereas when yeah. they have Bay or Juan Zabi, they can really push up and uh, play against yeah. people. Yeah, I mean... And Liverpool can struggle against a well-executed high press, like almost as a counter. If, if you can intercept the passes, put some pressure on. Because this Liverpool team, under pressure, don't look great in possession at times. If you put them under pressure, they rather than playing a simple ball, they will try and you know dribble their way out, or they will try a Hollywood ball that fit is a 50-50 ball at best. Um, yeah, and the decision, the decision making at times for the Liverpool squad isn't great. So, I think, and as we saw, if United sit deep, Liverpool can struggle too because the space isn't there for them to get in behind. So, I mean, I'm going to go in. I want to be optimistic, so I'm going to agree with you. Say Liverpool could come away. I think if United do open up a bit more, so I think it would be one nil to Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, when we talked about it earlier, I said I, I kind of fancy Liverpool, but having kind of talked it through now, I think, I mean, it all comes down to who actually plays, like who plays at the back for United, I think will decide the game. But for me, yeah. I, I reckon it's going to be a, a 2-2 draw with Liverpool winning yeah. on penalties. Interesting. A, penalt- a penalty call. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I just like to be different. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, no, I actually, that's the game I'd like to see. You know, I'd like to yeah. see a lot of goals and I love a penalty shootout. So, yeah, I, I think that'd be a great result to watch or a great game anyway. Yeah. Um, you mentioned about United's lineup. I think it's probably in a position, knowing Liverpool, that we could almost probably predict the lineup that he's going to go with. Yeah, which kind of personally I think if he plays Lindelof and Maguire I think that favours um, Liverpool a little bit Yeah. Um, or, or at least I think they can still get a draw like that but I'd be surprised if they won the game whereas if he goes with pace at the back I think United could really press yeah. onto Liverpool and cause them a lot of issues yeah but as you know as I say whoever he pick, whoever Solskjaer picks he, as I say he can probably predict as most fans can which starting 11 Liverpool will go for like yeah. what's the front? What's the front three likely to be? Salah and Mane almost definitely. Probably Firmino through the middle, but it could be Minamino. Yeah, I mean he's not going to pick Origi from the start, is he? No, unlikely. The the midfield three, Thiago's definitely going to be in there. Who look? He he looked class against United. He dictated the pace of the play the whole game, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I think when he's fully fit, he's going to be one of the best players in the league. Yeah. But, you know, Liverpool's team, probably seven out of the 11 players, you can almost guarantee they're going to be in the starting 11. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. So, it's it's going to be an interesting game, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, hopefully it's just entertaining. <laughs> Better than yeah. a nil-nil. That's all I want, yeah. really. I just don't want to watch another nil-nil. No, I don't think anyone does. At least Sky Sports aren't putting this one on pay-per-view this time. <laughs> There's nothing could be worse than watching a nil-nil that you've paid £15 for. Definitely not. I mean, losing 7-0 would probably be worse if you supported one of the teams. <laughs> yeah, no, Liverpool fans got that one for free, didn't they? So Yeah, that's true. Still not over it. <laughs> but we have come to the end of the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode.